Hi guys, how's it going? Hey, great. It, yeah. It's been so long since we've done this thing that is the podcast that is very good, good. Tough, tough. Yeah, so Chris, what you been up to? You've been doing some things with your life. What are, what are those things? Yeah, been? so I've moved across uh, the country. I'm back home in Florida now. Um, been chilling with the uh, family here. It's been good. Um, I'm now an online campus pastor. That's my job now. Um, been great. Been a lot of work, but really good. That's cool. Harry, what about you? What have you been up to these days? Same old, same old, dude. Doing the father thing. Aroma is seven and a half and still awesome. Yeah, time flies, time flies. Uh, and then uh, doing the, the boyfriend thing. You know, life is good. Working, family. Uh, this, which I'm really, really glad to have reintegrated back into my weekly, you know, monthly schedule. Um, but, uh, but yeah, same old, same old pretty much. Yeah, me, me too, man. I am so excited to be doing this again. I definitely found that like in the interim period of our last podcasts and the, these ones, I was not studying the Bible nearly as like sufficiently as I was when I knew that we were going to like talk about it and record our conversations for my mom and a few other people to listen to. So, (laughs) (laughs) so shout out to my mom, a big motivator for why I read the Bible. So we, the last time we were doing this stuff, we were kind of voice acting and then talking through books of the Bible. So we're going to do that again. Um, Just kidding. We're not going to do that again because (laughs) we're going through Isaiah, which is a significant amount of chapters. And as much as I would love to verbalize all 66 chapters, I believe that would take over three hours for us to do and uh, there are people who have already done it, and I'm sure they've done it better than we have, so we're just going to let that be the thing. Um, in fact, NLT has a new voice uh, narrator that I downloaded on my Uversion app, and she crushes Isaiah, so if you would like to listen, I would recommend um, NLT's voice 2 or whatever it's called because it's very compelling and fun to listen to. Yeah, my uh, the the pastor Chris that's that's recently take over in the interim um, has been reading from the NLT, and I've really appreciated that recently. Um, I actually could not articulate the reason behind the translation, but it it, it is something that I've I've really enjoyed um, historically reading from like the NIV or the NASB. The NLT is just better language usually for us. Um, the NIV is an incredible translation that's really widely available and you know it's it was really transformed in like the 70s and it's been kind of changed since then but not a whole lot so yeah i mean you know whatever whatever version speaks to you like as long as it's not heretical (laughs) i'm all about it like every once in a while i'll go to the message which i know is the furthest from like the actual words but sometimes it really gets to the heart really well so. yeah it's it's just a what do they call it a transliteration or like an abbreviation or something i don't know what the actual word is but it, it doesn't 
translate from the original language, which is why people throw so much flack on it. However, that doesn't mean that it does a bad job of communicating what the verses are trying to communicate as a whole. It's just not going word for word in translation and trying to go from Hebrew to English or Greek to English. So, And so, I mean, it. yeah, if language is, you know, really important to you and the exact words are important to you, don't use the message. But really, I mean, you could get into a whole host of problems with even using the NIV or the NLT and like, you know, just trust God that's in the, God's in the process because every translation is going to have a little, um, it's a little bit of uh, flavor from whoever uh, actually translated it. So yeah, but yeah, trusting God's using it and keeping the core content there and bring the Holy Spirit obviously into everything you read. Yeah, I think, I think that too is actually going to be really important, Chris, as we get into some of these meatier, um, more complex books of the Bible. I think something that I had really pushed for um, as like our strategy, if you could call it that, for picking books of the Bible prior to this, it's been like those low-hanging fruit books. It's like, oh, two chapters, three chapters, easy to understand. Let's talk about those ones because those are ones that like I personally am comfortable with and I think um, are, are easy to consume if you're like an average reader, which I consider myself an average reader. Um, but there are also these books of the Bible like Isaiah, like Ezekiel, like Jeremiah, um, Revelation, these super long, complex books. And I think it's um, I think it's going to be exciting for us to, to hop into one of those because in 66 chapters, right, there's going to be a lot to, to dig into. Yeah, there is a lot to dig into, and it's definitely not low-hanging fruit. Um, so it does make me wonder the question, why, why are we going to this book of the Bible now? I feel like, once again, Harry, I think you were kind of the instigator in this. Uh, yeah. what, was, <laughs> what was the idea behind Isaiah? Yeah, actually, now that you say that, too, I, I really appreciate how I can instigate where we hop in the Bible at my, at my fancy um, I love it. Yeah. Well, and, and because I, you know, I, I think I have questions that are like low hanging fruit questions, maybe like obvious questions. And, and Isaiah for me has stuck out historically um, because it's something that all Christians talk about points to Jesus. Um, and upon a first glance, even um, you, you truly can see that it does in some ways, like through the suffering servant passages, etc. cetera. Um, but also it's something that, Jesus himself quotes a lot. Um, so those kind of two observations that I have had have made me particularly interested in it. Um, and then also, once again, it's like this huge book that I think, you know, not a lot of people can say, yeah, I've read it all the way through, or yeah, I truly understood it all the way through, or however deep of understanding you want to get there. I, I, that's great. And it's so funny. Um, like three weeks ago, I had, a, I had a small group at my church that wanted to get into Isaiah and read it. And they wanted to do it in like six weeks. And so uh, me and the other pastor who's in charge of small groups, we were talking about it. And I was like, I don't feel comfortable telling them that they can get through this book in six weeks. Like meeting one hour a week for six weeks, there's, there's just no way. And um, so like we looked up some studies and like sent them some stuff we were comfortable with. Um, I think the one we sent was uh, the Golden Gate book that I sent you guys a while ago. Um, N.T. Wright and Golden Gate and a few other people did um, Old Testament for Everyone stuff. Really, really great study material. But um, it's like, I don't know, it, it's like 300 pages and it's like 56 different studies, like through as you go. 
And so I was, you know, I was like, this is a great one if you want to look, use it. But um, you know, our advice is probably not do this in six weeks because you you can't just you can't just do it. It's just it's too much. Yeah, it is. It's substantial. Um, but like you said, Harry, it's significant in the life of the church, even from the beginning, like first days of the life of the church. That being like Jesus' ministry. He quotes it a ton. Um, you know, all the gospel authors quote it. Paul is making references to it almost constantly. So it makes you wonder, like, why is this book so important to the New Testament authors? Why is it so important to the early church? And um, yeah, so so I think maybe the first question to ask when we're trying to answer that question is, what was the context in which it was writing? What what is this book um and yeah why does it exist in the old testament to be so important for this new church yeah and and that i think that piece you just said is important to me as well because my interest in all the things kind of you mentioned right paul calling it out the gospels calling it out me interested as um as to how it influenced jesus all of those are very new testament specific things and when we think about the context of, of isaiah um why was it included in the Old Testament before even all of these things that we're mentioning now? Um, what was it then? And um, I, I don't know if I if I could even begin to answer that question correctly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, Chris, do you have some research that you've been doing on this? I've got some, but I'd love to hear what you found out. Yeah, um, I don't I don't know that I have a lot of research about that specifically. I, I would say that you know. It, it's a prophecy book. Um, the Old Testament has a lot of prophecy in it. You have some major prophets and then 12 minor prophets. And it's, there's a lot of, in prophecy, it's usually somebody like Isaiah or somebody else calling out what people are doing and telling them to repent. Um, and you get that in this, but Isaiah does tend to go quite a bit further than to that, even into, um, you know, what we typically think of prophecy, which is like telling the future. And so you actually get some of that in here, which is wild. Um, you don't get that in all prophecy. And that's not, you know, those aren't one of the same. That can come out of prophecy, but it's not always there. Um, yeah, and why, how does it fit into the Old Testament? Well, it fits alongside those other prophets pretty well, but I think it's quite grand comparatively to a lot of the other prophecy. Um, and it does go into the future a bit, which is makes it very attractive. I think that's one of the reasons we want to know about it. And that's definitely why, you know, it was so important to the early Christians is because that's how they viewed Christianity was through the lens of Isaiah because they didn't have our scripture. They, they had Isaiah. Yeah. And actually, I, I, let me let me give my layman's opinion of what I think Isaiah is as well before Hayden, you go too, because I think I'll fit nicely in between these two. Um, because Chris, I think starting out that it is, um, it's part of the prophets, right? It's part of the, it's part of the section of the books in the Bible, however you want to slice the Bible, because there's probably tons of different ways to do it, um, scientifically, theologically, but the, the part of the Bible that's labeled the prophets, this, this slots into there, um, logically. Um, when I read it too, I see it as, you know, another prophet who's, telling Israel that they are doing terrible and God is going to punish them. Um, but not just that, because I think there's a lot of shorter prophet books that kind of limit their message to just that. Like, you're going to get screwed over. God is really mad. Turn away. I think Isaiah takes it a couple steps further and 
um, in, in one of the ways is he does prophesy about the future and some of the things he prophesies about actually do come true. Um, history shows. Um, and then also he does point to um, sort of like redemption for Israel in a number of different symbols. Um, so I think that, that that kind of differs from the other prophets. Um, but to me, like once again, the layman reading it, it's from the perspective of this guy named Isaiah who's a prophet and he is continually you know, getting to certain points in history where these kings do bad things and then he is just chewing them out for chapters and chapters and chapters. And then he hears from God and God is chewing them out and he's telling Isaiah to, to communicate that to the kings in Israel. And and then it kind of evolves from there chapters later. Hayden, fact check me on that. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. And a couple a couple thoughts on that. So one thing that's interesting, like you said, Isaiah is a prophet primarily to like the rulers of his day rather than just to like a common people of the day which which is common when it comes to prophets like for israel for jerusalem they the king in jerusalem would have like a court of prophets that it would be like what should i do is god on our side and they would like intercede and be like yes god's on our side or no he's not or like this god's on our side and they'd be like well that god doesn't matter you know we don't listen to that god or whatever but that is part of his role in isaiah and perhaps he was just kind of a common prophet and then found that he had a higher calling to actually not just like tell the king yes god's on your side god's on your side but actually no god's not on your side and there's this other stuff going on god's not only not on your side but he's actually on the side of the persians or on the assyrians or babylon but then he's not on their side either um so that's an interesting thing and also what i just brought up is very interesting too in that this book spans a huge amount of time as far as like the actual history of Israel goes perhaps too huge a time for one man to live some could argue that I know Um, but when Isaiah begins in the first uh, several chapters um, even up to like chapter 39 Isaiah is addressing an imminent attack from Assyria and addressing the kings of Jerusalem, the kings of Judea to not get help from Egypt when it comes to time to battle Assyria because the kings of Judea are thinking, okay, this bad kingdom named Assyria is on their way. They're going to take us out just like they took the northern kingdom of Israel out. We need some help. Let's go down to Egypt. Isaiah thinks that's a bad idea. And then after that happens, going to chapter 40, all of a sudden we're talking no longer about Assyria, but we're talking about Babylon. And Babylon was rose up as an imperial power and took over Assyria. So now Isaiah is addressing the kings of Judea and their relationship with Babylon. And then we get through to chapter 55, 56, and now Babylon's being ready to get taken over by Persia. And so now we're talking about this third kingdom of Persia that's coming in. And Isaiah addresses all three of these areas, which is really unique and something interesting from Isaiah. Yeah, and I would say... Regardless of your opinion on 
um, the lifespan of um, the writer or, or, or whether he um, could have done it or not. Um, I think the important thing to mark here is that um, a crude analogy, if I'm going to eat a whole pie, how I'm going to do it, I'm going to cut it into pieces, right? And I'm going to eat it piece by piece. That's what we got to do with this book. And so um, kind of like how you mentioned, Hayden, there are these these time frames that span like, what is it, like 200-ish years? Um, we can kind of cut two, three different kingdom time frames out of that to sort of say, okay, these are sections that we can build from. And then, um, like you're saying, Chris, we're probably going to need more than six weeks to consume it. Let's let's dig into those three sections even deeper into more detail and, and see if we can uh, go through bit by bit. Yeah, and that's probably a good disclaimer too. We're not going to get through everything. <laughs> We'll get we'll we'll highlight things, but um, if you're listening to this podcast, I, you definitely should be reading along with us and discovering things on your own because you'll find things that we miss for sure. Well, and, and also too that this is like I, f- I feel like it, 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 okay is this too harsh of a statement? Do you have to kind of know the stuff that we're talking about to truly understand or appreciate Isaiah? Because like once again, it's not low hanging fruit. I can read Ruth and be like, wow, a heartwarming story, good and evil bad and you know good etc but when i read isaiah it's like wow I, I i not only need a ton of context but i need a bunch of other tools you know first of all the entire hebrew bible second of all like <laughs> a, a ton of friends to talk about it with um you know i think that this is kind of necessary or at the very least extremely helpful when attacking a book like this so yeah i i think you could read isaiah and get something out of it um without any study but um, study would bring you infinitely more out of it. Um, and when we say study, like, uh, I, I think that that's kind of an ambiguous term. You know, a lot of people do Bible study and that just means they read the Bible and then they're done. Um, when I, at least when I say study, I mean, if you're reading Isaiah and you see a king's name you've never heard of, or you see a place you haven't heard or a word, you don't know what it is. Like, look it up, like study, study, like what you're reading, figure out what they're talking about. And um, there's a lot of great resources. Um, was it Blue Letter Bible you were talking about before, Hayden? Yeah, that's that's a great free online resource. Um, but yeah, that info, like the ways to study it are out there. But um, really, to you, there's going to be a lot you don't know what it is, and uh, it will be kind of up to you to look up some of that. Yeah, I mean, what what would you say, maybe Harry, if if you were just to give a quick uh, Twitter. Uh, like tweet tweet out and I'm gonna tweet out this is what Isaiah means or what Isaiah is all about I got 140 characters or I think they expanded it to whatever it doesn't really matter I got a small amount what would you say Isaiah after listening to it reading it what would you say oh man I'd say Isaiah it Isaiah mirrors the arc of the Torah semicolon Israel <laughs> is created by God, chosen by God, betrays God, uh, punished by God, but God still redeems them um, through a suffering servant um, that takes on sin on their behalf, period. Yeah, and I think going then back to your question and Chris's answer, if if you were to read this story to your seven-year-old daughter, I, I think she'd pick that up, honestly, you know? I think if you just said, I'm going to tell you a story and you spent the next six weeks or 60 weeks reading Isaiah to her, she'd probably be confused. But I think that she honestly would get out of this 
Israel was not listening to God and God was mad about that, but he didn't necessarily punish them to the fullest. He saved them in a different way. I think she would get that out of there. Yeah, well, we're on we're on Goblet of Fire now. And she looked at me the other day like randomly and was like, was it Bartimus Crouch who did, who did the dark mark at the Quidditch Cup? And I was like, maybe, Roma, maybe. <laughs> so, yeah, I think maybe super study isn't needed to, uh, to glean the obvious message of Isaiah, um, but maybe some study can uncover some cool things. And I don't, I don't know, what little study, that word can be thrown around, Chris. I think I know what you're saying there, but whatever little study I've done has certainly uncovered some, some interesting nuggets for me. Yeah, it'll be worth your time if you do it. Um, yeah, that much is true. That much, yeah. that much we can guarantee. Yeah. Even with the guarantee on the podcast, absolutely, the GGP guarantee. <laughs> and as I was, as I was listening and um, getting resources from other people, I mean, there was never a time where I listened to two people talk about Isaiah and they had the exact same things to say. You know, they continually are uncovering different things, bringing up new connections that I had never really noticed before. And yeah, so I I think you could spend as much time as you wanted in this and you'll continue to get more and more out of it. And I've maybe said this on this podcast before, I'm not totally sure, but at the end of John, John says something like, if all the things that Jesus had done could be recorded, there's no library in the world that would have enough books to be able to contain everything. And like, that seems like a ridiculous thing to say. Like, I, I scoffed at John the first time I heard that because it's like the dude lived 33 years and then he died, and then he was raised from the dead, and that's cool. But like, you could <laughs> you could pretty significantly write down someone's life and the entire world's books, you know. But with Jesus, you can't. Like, it, it's so connected to everything that even just spending, if you try to do all of Jesus and how Isaiah relates to him, I mean. So many people have so much to say about that, and here we are adding more to the conversation. So I, I just think it's so true. Like if you think that you've got everything figured out of the Bible, maybe like take a little a little humble shot of something of humility and try again because man, there's there's so much more to continue to dive into. But with that, don't also be scared to open up this book and read it by yourself or with a group of friends that are not theologians because we're not theologians we're trying it and i i still felt like i was getting a lot out of it yeah something else too i was gonna say is is my tweet is pretty obviously biased as a christian answering right um when we're talking about the context of this isaiah could be looked at as a uh, as a Muslim scroll, it could be looked at, um, you know, in, in a lot of different ways and a lot of different lights and, um, c- you know, can be appreciated from a lot of different perspectives. So, um, you know, I, I, that's just the obvious messages that I get out of it. But as is everything with the Bible, the more you look at it, the more you study it, the more you're going to learn. And, um, you know, it definitely takes some, it definitely takes me some humble pie to read this. I kind of look at Isaiah sometimes, like I look at the genealogies in the Bible, I look at them and I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what? I don't even know any of these names. Just like flip the pages through and get to the next thing. So it's nice to spend some time. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we'll maybe spend kind of the rest of our time just 
overviewing quickly the book and maybe saying some things that struck you, some things that you found interesting, some things you definitely want to talk about in further detail. Um, Again, like I said, as I was kind of studying, it seemed like people came back to over and over. Chapters 1 through 39 are their own section. They interact with the others, but they're kind of just this imminent Assyrian attack plus them being the major powerhouse. So like 1 through 39 is like Assyria is the problem and Judea and how they respond is the main conflict tension. And then 40 through 55 is the Babylonian section. And then 56 through 66 is kind of this like past Babylon Persia's involved in that but it's not even necessarily talking so much about Persia as it is just like whatever comes next Persia's included in that but but maybe more um, would you guys say that that kind of resonates with what you were finding as you were listening as you were studying yeah I I think it would be interesting to talk about this and maybe we do this now but um, this is obviously really important to a lot of people for different reasons. Um, and I was, when I was looking up stuff on Isaiah, like this kept coming up because it's like a hot button issue. But uh, a couple of things that stuck out to me where Old Testament scholars have really funny names for these, and they can like they can lend to the conversation. Um, we're definitely not going to call them this, but one through thirty nine, uh, proto Isaiah, and then Deutero Isaiah, which makes sense. Um, first and second, basically. But um, they also, uh, one one scholar I was reading called the first section the Book of Judgment, the second section the Book of Comfort. And so, um, like, thinking about them as separate books, it's not, I don't know that it's negative, but um, just so you all know, I, I don't think we've, I'm actually, I'm like 99% sure I've read this, but I didn't fact check it, so it's shame on me. But um, I don't think we've ever recovered any scrolls with just one or the other. They've always been connected, and that's including the Dead Sea Scrolls. So, yeah, they're really different, but they've always been connected. It's not like, you know, a couple thousand years ago we smashed them together and said these belong together. They've been connected for whatever reason. Yeah, that is really interesting and is maybe the first time that i feel genuinely challenged about it like the position that it would be multiple authors who wrote this i i don't know necessarily if i know my own opinion on whether it was one person named isaiah who wrote the whole thing or if he wrote some and then it was picked up later but that's actually a really good point the fact that we've never uncovered uh that first section you would think maybe i mean i I guess there would probably be only one copy of that Uh, who knows but like it is it is an interesting um thing to say and and one thing i would say too with the book of judgment book of comfort going into it the thing that stuck out to me going into it is that was kind of how i was expecting the book to strike me is like judgment heavy judgment heavy prophetic judgment like god's coming down on you i I actually, like, there was never really a chapter where I came away totally disheartened. I felt like every time Isaiah, not every time, but it felt like this, the majority of the times Isaiah had redemption in mind, even in these first 39 
chapters. So I, I was actually shocked by that. I was expecting to be burdened with judgment and weight of sin, and that's definitely there. But I was surprised at how uplifting and encouraging Isaiah was throughout the entirety. Yeah, I would say that that's something that is kind of almost, um, in a way, very Christian about Isaiah, is that it is very uplifting um, at the end of each chapter, at the end of each section. And Hayden, it's kind of funny. I think I've been sending you like various snippets of the prophets that I've been reading lately and being like, whoa, God's doing some bad stuff here. Like, whoa, this is really intense. And I think Isaiah might might for sure rate on like not the most intense prophet out there for sure, as far as like the things that God does when he is frustrated with it, with his people. Yeah, I like that. Um, you both said that it's really got like this hope undertone in it, which is not everywhere in the Old Testament. In fact, it's lacking in a lot of areas. But when you look at it at the whole, as a whole, you see hope in the whole te- Old Testament. But it is cool to see a book that, that uh, is throughout it and not just at the end. Yeah. So that, that was one thing that definitely stuck out to me. And Harry, the other thing that you mentioned already that stuck out is like from a Jesus has already come to the world stance that we live in, it is so hard <clears throat> to read this and imagine what Isaiah was talking about without Jesus being a thing. Like so much of the things that he says, you're like, yeah. you're talking about Jesus. Just like say his name. Just say this guy named Jesus is coming. Mm-hmm. But like that it it's actually crazy how much and and earlier today I was listening to a podcast and they found this um this cool thing where someone took quotes from Isaiah exclusively and told the entire story of Jesus like as it sounds in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and only did it from Isaiah and quoting him and you're like sounds like a gospel to me. So what are you thinking about that? Well, I would say and this is coming from someone who's like highly cynical, highly skeptical. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that you can take from the whole Bible and say this points to Jesus, right? And that's one of the beautiful things about the Bible. And then some of them you could look at it and be like, oh, that's kind of a stretch. You know, that's kind of a stretch. Maybe that doesn't point to Jesus. But then there's sometimes like in a psalm, it's like, oh, his hands and his feet were pierced. And you're like, whoa, that seems really specifically Jesus. And then there's sometimes in Isaiah when they're talking about the way that the suffering servant is going to take on the sin of the world and like be that spotless lamb. And you're like, whoa. And, and there are so many things in John. And I think Hayden, I remember you talking about it in a youth group once in John and in various gospels. It's like, why is this passage in there? It's like, oh, it's in there to specifically fulfill this passage in Isaiah. Oh, why did he bleed? Or why did he drink the hyssop branch or whatever? It's like, it was because this one line in Isaiah needed to be fulfilled as Jesus took that very, very seriously. So yeah, it's, you know, it's not just one of those passing like, oh, it could point to Jesus. It's like Isaiah, there's so many things that we're going to see that's like, wow, that is so explicitly pointing to Jesus. And it was written so many hundreds of years before that it's got to make you think twice. Yeah, and I think even more so, knowing that Jesus did so many things, it shows us how hyper-aware the gospel writers were of Isaiah to know, oh, this is important, I need to write this down because this directly reflects something in Isaiah. The intertwinedness. Yeah, it's totally true. And one thing that is interesting that I, uh, Chris, you brought it up earlier, you know, you were saying that the 
early church didn't like i mean at least the first like 80 years of the church didn't have the new testament at all you know even the earliest writings of paul are probably 60-ish years after jesus had died and rose again so they are looking at this stuff looking at isaiah to make sense of what Jesus was doing and what it really meant. And so I I think that's important on a couple levels. A, like basically the early church thought that Isaiah was indispensable when it came to knowing who Jesus was and what he did for them in their point of view. So that if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're listening to this, I, I mean, just like, putting that out there like the early church thought there is no way we're going to understand jesus what he was saying and what he did for us unless we are in isaiah and know it well um and the other thing is that there there can be this idea this sense that like okay the old testament and the prophets they they like said a bunch of stuff and then jesus came and he made it happen and there, there, there's a lot of truth to that, but I think you can also like minimize the importance of the Old Testament if that's all that you're looking at when you go back there, because then it's just like, oh, it's like proof that Jesus was real, which, which is a, a nice thing. It's like, oh, the Old Testament said it was going to happen thousands of years before, and then Jesus did it. So that's how we know that Jesus is real and that he actually did it. And, you know, that's true. Like, that, that's definitely an important thing. But if that's all you're going to Isaiah for is just, at, like, for, for proof that Jesus did this stuff because it was foretold about, you're, you're missing that actual meaning of what Isaiah was saying, how that connects to his audience, and what the early church, which was primarily Jewish, knowing all of this context, knowing what Isaiah meant to them at the time, and then saying, whoa, wait, Jesus fulfilled that in reality, in, in like a spiritual, actual way, that is incredible to me now i i my understanding of isaiah is different and my understanding of jesus is different so i I think as we have our conversations i'll be excited to see how that kind of unpacks how jesus not just like fulfills prophecies like here's what's going to happen but how he also brings isaiah to like a culmination of what it really meant yeah i think that's one of the cool things about isaiah too is that once again, I keep calling back to Ruth as that's one of the recent books we've done, but that one's firmly in the Old Testament, right? It bridges between two Old Testament books. It points to David. It points back to what came before. And um, this is an Old Testament book that really has two feet firmly in, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, you know, um, what it meant to that Jewish culture and then what it means now that Jesus is here and what, what that means for us as Christians. And that's, that's, that's uh, unique as far as the prophets is concerned, I think. Yeah, it is kind of like some of this might, you know, you might be hearing all this might surprise you, but like this is church tradition probably up until like a few hundred years ago has accepted Isaiah as like this incredible book that Christians need to know. And I I know um, even early church fathers would call Isaiah like the fifth gospel. It was that important to the church that you you need to know this. And I mean, 
I have uh, I had a quote from St. Jerome. I don't know where it is. But uh, he was around 400 AD, and he said uh, that Isaiah, you know, he, he views Isaiah more as an evangelist than a prophet when reading because it is just so, if you are a Christian, <laughs> it's just so incredibly, uh, so much incredibly like, like a gospel. And yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And so my, my question then is if Isaiah is so evangelistic, what what would be like the good news from Isaiah? Like what what is giving Isaiah hope that he can point to and why why would we read this and, and kind of get that same hope out of the book? Um, just as we're kind of looking whole level, as you were reading, as you were listening, what what were your feelings of good news or hope if there were some? I think, you know, I'm going to give the obvious answer, which is the Old Testament and leading up to Isaiah um, repeats that God has made a covenant with his people. Um, and, you know, even though so many bad things happen and Israel is time and time again the people that screw up the most um, God does especially in Isaiah overtly in Isaiah show them a way out um, that's I'm gonna give like the 30,000 foot view and then you guys can go deeper than that <laughs> yeah it, I mean it shows an act of God that's working on reconciliation despite what his people are doing and that's just I mean, when you read Isaiah or you read most of the prophets, you go, yeah, you know, they deserve that. <laughs> they're turning their back on God. They're doing all these horrible things. But when you see God actively trying to reconcile his people back to him, making a plan to save them instead of making a plan to destroy them, that's uh, that's that's really special. Yeah, well, and also, too, let's not get it twisted. He is the one who destroys them or, or leads them to destruction. So he is the one that... Um, you know, what is it like Babylon, Assyria, all these bad places. He's the one that allows the, the kings of those nations to come and take over Israel or to come take them cap- captive. Um, but he is also the one that leads them out of that captivity. So, you know. Yeah, I just think it's, it's special when it's, <laughs> it's almost assumed that they're going to be destroyed for what they're doing. And like, I, you know, I'm not going to. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that at some point, you know, whether yeah, yeah, that yeah. makes God or good or not good, whatever. Yeah, but yeah. the fact that you get that alongside God planning to redeem his people, that's what makes it incredible, I think. Yeah, and the thing that I really appreciate about that, too, in Isaiah is, and maybe this is a unique thing and a, a benefit, actually, to it being so long, to it being 66 chapters, is I never felt like I had a question about God's like rationale when it came to what he was doing. Like basically every time that Isaiah would say like, this is going to happen to you, judgment's coming, like your destruction is imminent, you're going to be punished, he would almost always give a why to that. He would say like, judgment's coming, you're going to be punished because of the way that you've been treating the poor, because of the way that you've been treating the widows. You've been taking advantage of these people and hoarding up their wealth for yourself and not helping them at all. And so because you've been in unjust to these people, like God will remove his justice from you or, or put his justice on you, whichever way you want to kind of think about it. Or the other way, like, and, and the way he's going to do that is by raising up Babylon to come in and take over Assyria. But then God's going to bring down Babylon because 
this this king of Babylon, he's looking around and saying, aren't I so powerful? Aren't I so incredible? Aren't I just the guy who's taking over the entire world with my own hand? And God says, no, I raised you up for this purpose. And now you're being so prideful and arrogant to believe that you're just like the 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 most powerful man ever, as if your kingdom isn't going to fall, just like the kingdom that you're taking over. So that that was one thing that I really did appreciate about Isaiah is there was always a reason that God was giving this, as well as a hope for redemption. So I, I found that really helpful when it comes to evangelism. You know, I, like my experiences with evangelism. If you leave like any of that stuff out, it becomes a terrible experience. Like you, maybe you've had the people who are just like, you're going to hell, be, you know, be so, I don't know, like sucks for you. You're, you're, you're going, going to hell. To hell. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you're like, so is there a reason? And like, is Can there we talk about this? do about it you know but like some people that's just like yep judgment's coming and like it's kind of like a jonah mentality (laughs) like hey judgment's coming bummer and then they sit outside the city and like wait for god to do something or they they don't give you a reason or they do give you a bunch of reasons but they give you no hope or they only give you hope and don't tell you that you did anything wrong and that there's like consequences for those actions so when you leave any of those things out it it becomes a problematic and tougher to hear message i think yeah it's funny that you say that there was actually a girl i went to high school with and like in high school i was like admittedly like i don't believe in nothing And this girl who was like overly Christian, who I liked and I was friends with, she was like, yeah, you're going to hell. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah. She's like, yeah. And and like that turned me off so much. Like that was a, that was like one of those conversations you have at like a formative time in your life. Like I was really like, well, screw you, dude. Like if that's just how it is, then that's just how it is. Like, and, and I think once again, now we're talking about the, you know, the, the, the reconciliation of God, which is super important in Isaiah and is super important in so many other books in the Bible, but it's so important. It's so important to know that it's, it's not just you're, 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 you're terrible and it's over. It's not just you're going to hell and it's the end of the story. There is always a, another side to that. Yeah. I so appreciate that about Isaiah. Um, yeah. And I mean, that just, yeah. I, I mean, we're talking about a Christian context here, right? But that hope, I mean, just reflects Jesus too, right? Um, you know, you always hear grace and truth. And of course, there are consequences for what you're doing. Like that's, <laughs> that's basically what the Bible is, right? There are consequences and you, you will get judgment, um, but you can also have undeserved reconciliation with God. And like, that's, I think that's why as Christians, we, when we read Isaiah, we get so, you know, it, it fulfills part of us because we're like, yeah, like I, this is what I'm looking um, for. So my, um, sorry, what my were you saying? Maybe, maybe final question is, is there, was there something in Isaiah that like stuck out that you held on to that felt good and, you know, kind of why, why that thing and, um, yeah, any, any comments or commentary that just like was a personal moment for you as you're reading and listening? I think my big takeaway from this was something we've been talking about, but just realizing that this is what the early church had and like knowing that this was like how the ministry of Christianity started was with 
really this book pointing to this and saying this is our messiah especially the ministry to the jews that knew this book saying you know this this prophet or this person that's described in isaiah is uh is jesus and especially like 40 through 55 um i don't know there's so much like there's just beautiful poetry and like there's just dimensions of salvation you see in there that just really come to fruition when you when you put Jesus in there. It's just such a cool connection. Um, one uh, one verse I really like that uh, I don't fully understand that I can't wait to get into more <laughs> is Isaiah 65:25, and I'll just read it. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. The lion will eat straw like the ox, but the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy all all on my holy mountain, says the Lord. Now there's bits of that that I'm like, oh, I know what that is, but it's just, I mean, that's just like a good verse for me because it's just so dense. And I, that's just Isaiah to me. Yeah, I'm going to call one out too. I'm glad you called out a verse. And, and, once again, not low-hanging fruit. That's why we're doing this. Um, but uh, one, one highlight for me was kind of, like you, like you said, Chris, how it connects poetically to different things earlier or later in the Bible. Isaiah 11, one, in, uh, it's actually just one. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch bearing fruit from this old root. And I know that trees like the bible project right now is just digging in on trees in genesis specifically trees are this huge recurring theme um in in the old testament specifically um and jesus himself himself talks about vines and branches and um, i I just saw that as like once again and the wolf and the lamb were actually mentioned in in verse six it's kind of it's funny that you say that chris so the symmetry you just pulled something from chapter 65 i pulled something from chapter 11 and like they're talking to each other it's 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 a cool book. So good. It is so good. The thing that uh, really got me excited was actually just in chapter two, I, as I was reading this, I, I was like having a Christian perspective, like being on this side of Jesus is so incredible when you like are able to actually think about how God worked this stuff that Isaiah said he was going to work. So just like Isaiah 2, verse 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, the house of God of Jacob. And and you just think about how like the the mountain that was Jerusalem that is Jerusalem the thing that brings people to it is this cross and a man crucified on top of this mountain and that is what is bringing all these people because probably what Isaiah and his readers you know even maybe Isaiah himself were thinking is like this great king will rise up and like we'll be the the highest mountain so to speak because we'll be like the most powerful nation and people will say like we want the prosperity that um, Jerusalem has let's go to Jerusalem but then you think about what actually happened is like the thing that is flowing these people to the the highest mountain is the Lord Jesus being like lifted up 
on the mountain there, there's like so many times where it says like and he will be lifted up and i just like think of the way that he was lifted up on the cross i'm like oh my gosh like it's so crazy and then at the end of chapter two he so he go he gives that excitement and then he gives some judgment to the people and he is like so hide run away because like the terror of the lord is coming and in verse 19 he says and people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground before the from before the terror of the lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth he says when he rises mm-hmm. to terrify the earth and you're just like what what is God rising from? And and then you put it in like this Jesus perspective and you're like, you know what's terrifying? Yeah. <laughs> a man who claimed to be God, this doing and saying all these things that we then killed and then he came, he rose back from the grave. That that's pretty terrifying mm-hmm. to imagine. And I was like I, I was just reading this, I'm like, this is so incredible. <laughs> like That's oh insane, my man. I just love like how you're saying like we have these expectations or at least isaiah and a lot of the jews did and it just subverts our expectations in such a like not a cheesy way but like a really cool and powerful and brilliant way like that he is hitting those check marks but it's not at all what anybody pictured and it's somehow better yeah it's just man so i want to go back to the pie metaphor because where we got to get at the end of this conversation is where are we going to start? <laughs> Where, what's the first piece of pie? And I think I heard... Probably 1-1, one, one, well, I think. Yeah, the beginning. The beginning <laughs> right? um, but I heard we could cut Isaiah into halves. Like, like you know, what was it? Like uh, judgment and comfort. We could cut it into thirds. Proto, deutero, trito, whatever. Um, based, on, based on like time frames. Um, but where do we want to start, right? Do we want to start one and then go forward? How do we want to do that? Because I'm, I'm interested as to how we want to... We want to kind of tiptoe through this. I think I, I want to hear what you guys think, but I I don't think this should be a half year long series. I think we should we should chunk it up into like five or six, and then just hit the highlights we see. Um, otherwise, it's going to get incredibly boring. I mean, I'll be pumped about it, but you know, most people will not. Yeah, and and I'm looking once again at um, the internet, and one to twelve seems to be a really common first chunk. Um, you know, just like let's start there. Then yeah. we can decide. Like after that, I saw you nod your head too, Hayden. Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say one to twelve is probably a good place to start. Yeah, I think maybe we start there, and then you know we can decide where to go after that. But that sounds almost manageable. Yeah, Isaiah one to twelve in a week. <laughs> Isaiah one to twelve in a week. You you listen to a, a wonderful NLT. Uh, interpretation. This uh, there's music in the background. It's very moving. Um, yeah, you listen to it in the morning. You get in the mood. Except it's like also scaring you a little bit. Um, it'll be good. Yeah, but it's Isaiah. Yeah, but it's so Isaiah. Terrified, yeah. but excited. Yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy yeah. it. My son thinks it's great when we hang out and listen to it in the morning. So <laughs> nine month old ain't scared. Neither should be you. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Anything? Anything else to say as we wrap it up here? No, excited. Yeah, yeah. should be uh, fun and uh, challenging, which is exactly what I want. Yeah, I agree. So Isaiah one through twelve next week. Let it be so. 